America is fast becoming, and really already is, a fascist country. What is fascism, really? Well, fascism or fascism is basically where the government and private businesses interact, and even the government controls the businesses. So there's a partnership between the government and businesses, and that's exactly where America already is. You hear the liberals all the time talking about the conservatives as being fascist. Well, they don't know anything about what they're talking about because America is already a fascist nation. And conservatives, and I speak of constitutional conservatives, want to go back to the Constitution and free American business from the government overreach. But we have this already going on in our nation. A perfect illustration is an article that was put out. This is last week by David Hood in BloombergIndustry.com. And the title of it reads, NASDAQ Board Diversity Rule Boosted LGBTQ Policies, Report Says. So basically, the article tells us that the NASDAQ rule, which has been blessed by the Securities and Exchange Commission in 2021, requires companies on the exchange to generally include at least one woman and at least one minority or LGBTQ member on their boards. You have to have it on your board. You have to say that we have diversity. Either that or you have to explain why we don't have a woman, a black, or a lesbian, or LGBTQ, or any other any of these on the board. You have to explain that. Now, this pertains to public companies that are traded on the NASDAQ board. And it's like ESG rules and regulations. It requires diversity. Diverse board representation rule is what it is. So let's back up for a moment and talk about some of these some of the elements of this. First of all, what, what is NASDAQ? NASDAQ is one of the exchanges on the New York Stock Exchange. It's a global exchange marketplace for buying and selling securities. So NASDAQ first began 1971, but it includes such companies as uh, the Google parent company, Alphabet. It includes also Apple. It includes Microsoft. It's headquartered in New York, New York City and operates approximately 29 different marketplaces. Basically, NASDAQ is the marketplace of America. That is the financial sector of America. It's what we used to call the free market, but no more. It's not free at all because the rules are coming down from NASDAQ into the companies that they have to have these diverse members of the different communities on their boards or they're not going to, or they'll be punished or uh, they're, they're given, and they're given time as to how much, uh, and depends upon how large the company is. They have a whole chart about if the if the board is five members or less, these rules do not apply. If the board of the company has nine members or more, then this is when these rules must be implemented. So basically, the marketplace of America has been taken over, and all of that, of course, is because Nasdaq is in control. It's underneath the umbrella of the Securities and Exchange Commission. The SEC is one of those government agencies, supposedly an independent agency, but it's an independent federal agency established in 1934. Now, you ought to know when we say 1934 that that takes you back to the period of the FDR administration. That is, it would be, of course, in FDR's administration, socialistic policies, and that's what the SEC was Established. That's when SEC was established. 
to oversee the financial markets. Well, why was that created in 1934? Why was the SEC created? Well, for the last two or three generations, Americans have believed, well, we had to have that because the financial markets were out of control in the 1920s, and we had the Great Depression, and so the Great Depression brought about a stronger government with FDR, and so FDR gave us, of course, the New Deal. So the New Deal was in response to the Great Depression of the 1920s. So we had to have it. That's what we're told in the school books. That's what we're told in college textbooks that we had to have the Securities and Exchange Commission or the entire corpus of the New Deal in order to control what's going on because freedom simply doesn't work. We had the Great Depression. What they don't tell you is that the Great Depression was brought about by, just 15 years earlier, the establishment of what? Well, that would be, of course, 1913, the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve Act. The Federal Reserve Act of 1913, established under this extreme secrecy, created such a marketplace that we were ab- it was able to crash the market. As a matter of fact, there are some uh, individuals involved in the Federal Reserve who made statements to the effect that, yes, we know that we've caused the Great Depression, or we know that we caused it back then, but it will not happen anymore. Americans simply have been sold one lie on top of another lie. That is, the lie is that we have to have government control of the marketplace through the SEC. And that lie was told on top of another lie. The lie was, well, if we have an unregulated market, then that means we're going to have a Great Depression. But that was a lie also because that was built upon the lie of the Federal Reserve in 1913. But all that gets back into the weeds a little bit. But let's go back to now. That gives us the backstory. Let's go back to this diversity board ruling that NASDAQ is requiring of different companies. So under control of the SEC, the NASDAQ says that boards of companies must have diverse people on those boards. So the article that was told in Bloomberg is approximately 50% of the 3,743 companies listed on NASDAQ exchange right now have policies to include the LGBTQ members on their boards. But that's up from 3% a year ago. Now, note the jump. 3% one year ago, 50% of the companies today. What's happening? This is a a glowing report put out by what is called out leadership. Out leadership. What is out leadership? We'll talk about that in a moment. You'll note that out leadership tells us that even though the rules have not completely been implemented yet, they will be implemented, it shows us that the threatening of the rule, that is, the companies are seeing what's coming down the pike and they are responding to what they see as going to take place in the future. So Out Leadership Study says, well, we've been scrutinizing the boards and we're seeing if the boards of these companies in America are represented by diverse populations in America, LGBTQ community particularly. So going on in the article... The Bloomberg article tells us the report said also the increased LGBTQ focus has had an intersectional impact on other types of diversity as well. Companies that invest in LGBTQ diversity also invite more women, more people of color, more people of uh, minorities to the board. 
and the policy exchanges. So NASDAQ rule have, has these policy changes going on. Now, this is the CEO of Out Leadership and the founder, that would be Todd Sears, has stated. So what's taking place? Out Leadership is pressured, that is, this LGBTQ organization, Out Leadership, and has pressured the government. The government, of course, is all in bed with it. And so the government, through the SEC, is putting pressure on NASDAQ, and all the companies on this exchange are required to reflect diversity on their boards. Let's talk about Out Leadership for just a moment. Who is Out Leadership? Out Leadership claims to be the most, the world's most influential LGBTQ network. The CEO and founder is Todd Sears. Todd Sears has spent many years in intersection of finance and equality. And he created the first team of financial advisors on Wall Street focused on the LGBTQ community and bought almost $2 billion of news assets that has brought them from, from, uh, to the firm from LGBTQ couples. It also includes on the board of Out Leadership, Kathleen Sebelius. Kathleen Sebelius served on the Obama administration. You know that name. She was the HHS secretary under President Obama. It includes people such as Beth Brook. Beth is an outboard member at many world-renowned companies. She's passionate, we're told, about cultivating a safe environment for all members of the LGBTQ community. Another one is Teek Milan. Teek Milan, he's on the board also at Out Leadership. He's a journalist, human rights activist, father and public figure, unique story. He came to Out Leadership at age 14, he's at age, and 10 years later, he's a transgender man. So he's transgender. Lanaya Irvin, she's the CEO of another company. Lanaya also is vocal about intersectional identity. She's a black lesbian, proud black, black lesbian. Pamela Stewart, who's also a member of GLAAD, that would be G-L-A-A-D. All of these are homosexual organizations. So let's notice a couple of things regarding this. Let's just reflect for a moment. What's going to happen here? What is absolutely going to happen in our country when this occurs? Well, number one, this is going to drive up salaries of all these people. Why will that be the case? It will drive up the CEO's take-home pay. Why and how is that the case? Because let's, let's face it, if you're a company listed on NASDAQ, you have a board perhaps of nine people, but you don't have a black lesbian, and so here's a black lesbian, boy, you're going to you can call your own shots. You can, you can demand whatever salary that you want. And we've heard so many stories about how, how bad it is that the CEOs have taken home so much money and they are so highly paid compared to the workers in the company. But all of this does is up their salaries even more. The compensation then will be given to them. And the compensation of these CEO board members or the board members plus the CEOs has become such an irritant to people all over the country. But this will simply continue to drive up the salaries. So if you're a, a black lesbian, if I'm, if I'm a transgender, I'll just name my salary. That will be fine. But here's really the point. This is government dictating to, nation, or to companies exactly how they're going to conduct business. The government dictating to companies is the very definition a fascism. And why is the government doing it? Because it's a fascistic government. We are living in a government that is fascistic. It's an affirmative action move. 
It doesn't have anything to do with qualifications. We're not looking for board members that are qualified. We're going to look for board members that meet a criteria, whether they are black, whether they're Hispanic, whether they're Hawaiian, whether they're Native American, whether they're lesbian, whether if you're a black lesbian, boy, all the more to you. And that's, that's exactly what they've got. This is exactly what this is taking place. It was taking place in America. This is what fascism does. It lessens the real qualifications. It doesn't put a premium on qualifications. It puts a premium on your identity. But not only so, but what does it say? Let's just take it back one step further. You see, this is why the companies today and so many people in corporate America hate the founding of America. They hate the founding fathers. They hate the Constitution. They hate the Declaration of Independence. Why? Well, perhaps that could be told with this story. Several years ago, I knew a pilot who went to Philadelphia on one of his trips. He wanted to go see Constitution Hall, and he happened to be in one of the groups. He kind of tagged along with one of the groups that was a school group, uh, an elementary school group that was taken around by one of the one of the tour guides, and they took the children to the picture on the wall of the signing of the Declaration of Independence and then the signing of the Constitution, and here's how the tour guide presented it. He asked, well, what do you children see in that picture? What do you see about that picture? Someone would say, well, they're wearing funny hats. Another one would say, well, uh, they're all wearing uh, nice clothes, and look at their peculiar shoes, and What's that he's writing with? That looks like a feather that he's writing with. And the tour guide says, well, here's the the real story. They're all white men. Let's go to the next exhibit. What is that telling us? What is that doing? It's setting us up to hate the founding of the nation. No wonder collegiate people hate the founding of America. They're sold on diversity, equity, inclusion. And if you don't have that, you don't have any kind of good production coming out of it. But we had in the founding of America, all white men. It can't be good. Not only so, but there were no LGBTQ people in the founding of America because that was considered, biblically speaking, and correctly so, a sin. But psychotherapy came along about a hundred years later, established itself and said, well, no, homosexuality is only a sickness. It's a mental illness. And so it was put into the DSM manual as a mental illness. Now, of course, it has been kicked out. We've told this story before in 1973. And now, of course, and now the doors are wide open. And so founding of America couldn't be good. They couldn't have a good production because they have no LGBTQ people involved in it. It's all simply white men. And here's something else interesting, just as a final note. Many people blame the banks for what's taking place in America. And the banks perhaps are partly responsible, but many people are blaming the banks really, and that's, that's a short-sighted view. I'll say that is at the least of it. From the, time of, from the time of FDR all the way up through the Kennedy administration, the Johnson administration, Bill Clinton particularly, they leaned on, they crushed the banks and made them conform to all of their diversity rules. You must loan to minorities. You must loan to people, even if they don't meet the criteria for a loan in a bank. You must loan to them anyway, and we're going to guarantee that loan. The government says that using taxpayer money, we're going to guarantee that loan, but you must loan to them. So the bank does so. 
And that's exactly what's happening here. The banks are being crushed. They're being leaned on by government regulatory measures. We dismissed the founding fathers and we, the founding fathers told us, don't let anything go to Washington, D.C., because if you do, you can't control it. And so for the past three generations, we've allowed the federal government to control everything involved, and now we're going to pay the price, and we are paying the price. And that is what's happening in a fascistic government in which we live. Diversity rules for boards. So let's think about that mantra that diversity is our strength. We've heard it, as I said a thousand times if we've heard it one time at all. Diversity is our strength. We've got to be diverse and everything's got to be diverse. And so the NASDAQ rule is that board members have to be diverse. And we'll talk about that just a little bit. But I want, at this segment, I want to plumb down into it just a little bit more and examine what is meant by that. So let's ask three basic questions regarding it. What is meant by diversity? And this applies across the board. What is meant by diversity? Well, it might be, you would think, well, it might be different people. Different people, of course, would be the satisfaction of diversity. But no, that's not what is meant when Joe Biden says diversity is our strength. It's not just multiplicity of people. Would it be just different people with different backgrounds? That is, myself, my brother, we both have similar backgrounds, but there's some diversity in our backgrounds. Would that, would that qualify for the diversity that Joe Biden demands and is mandated now by the Securities and Exchange Commission? How about me and my sister? No, that's, that's not going to be the diversity that they have in mind. Now, that might be some qualification or some, uh, some satisfaction to them because my sister, a woman. and so. But that's not what they have in mind at all. Let's be clear about exactly what type of diversity they have in mind. What is required by the government? And it's a, and it's a requirement, note that. It's not simply diversity of talents, not simply diversity of abilities, not simply diversities of strengths and skills that people bring to the table. Instead, instead, it's a diversity that is equated with ethnicity and sexual behavior. That's all. Nothing more, nothing less. Ethnicity and sexual behavior. And I said it that way purposefully not orientation, it's sexual behavior. So that's the answer to the first question, and that is, what is the diversity that they require in the NASDAQ board? And of course, the mantra that the government presses upon all of us, and we've heard it in schools, and we've heard it everywhere, that we've got to have diversity. What they mean is diverse in ethnicity and sexual behavior. The second question is, how is diversity our strength? How could it be a strength? Well, it is assumed, and there's a key word there, it is assumed that this type of diversity will bring better talents, better abilities. That is, diversity as far as ethnicity and sexual behavior is concerned. Now, it's going to be assumed that it brings better talents and abilities, but why? Why would a talented white man, why, why could not, we'll say it this way, why could not a talented white man join another talented white man on a board, and that brings diversity of strength and ability and talents. Why would that not satisfy diversity in this particular regard? Why would that not be diversity is our strength? Well, because as I've said, according to the government, that which is mandated, and that is it's got to be ethnicity and sexual behavior. 
And they, by that sexual behavior, they mean homosexuality. So here's another question. Number three question. First is, what, what is meant by diversity? Secondly, why would it be diversity or strength? But number three, why would it be mandated? I want to emphasize this. We talked about that in the first section a little bit, but why would it be mandated? We are told that diversity is a strength. As a matter of fact, the bill of goods that we are being sold continually is that diversity, if you have diverse ethnicity and diverse sexual orientation or sexual preference that homosexuals on a board, then that is going to be a supercharged organization. That's going to have an organization that's, that is far outrunning the others in production, far outrunning others in talent, abilities, and everything is going to be coming in much, much more money. And so that's the idea. But the question is, well, if that's the case, why require it? Why would NASDAQ and the Securities and Exchange Commission require that kind of diversity if it's self-evidently the case that that type of diversity is a supercharged to an event, supercharging to a company, to any kind of a board, to any kind of business, to a school or anything, and that is going to expand the growth exponentially well, why would it be mandated? Why does the government have to come in and say through the NASDAQ board, here's what you're going to have to do, and you're going to have to meet these requirements? So you see, something is very fishy in this. There's something that doesn't smell right at all. And the idea that diversity is our strength really goes by the wayside. But what I would like to do in this particular segment, I want to apply it to the Bible. I want to look at what the Bible has to teach and what the Bible has to say regarding it. Let's think about the authorship of the Bible. Let's, so the Bible, the inspired production, 66 books which make the Bible, 39 in the Old, 27 books in the New Testament. Let's think about those 66 books that were composed over 1,500 years by about 40 different authors living at different times, different climes, different cultures, but what do we know about the writers of the Bible? Now, the author, of course, is God. All of it is inspired of God, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. But what do we know about the writers of the Bible? Let's take the Old Testament. Well, they were all, they were all Jews. They're all men. Even the books that were named for women, such as Ruth and Esther, evidently written by men. All of the books were written by Jews, and all of them were by men. All of them were Mideastern. They were not diverse cultures. They were not people from the white race. They were not people from the blacks. They, no. No, not at all. According to the mantra today and the doctrine that is taught, to, taught today, then the Bible could not be a great production because, after all, you don't have diversity in the authorship of the Bible. Were there any blacks? No. Were there any Africans? No. Were there any Indians? No. Were there Pacific Islanders? This is the NASDAQ requirement, by the way. Were there any transgenders among them? To ask the question, it even sounds blasphemous. And it is, really. There were no homosexuals, transgenders, because that was told to be, by God, a sin. That's a choice that people make. No, not on your life were any of those requirements 
any of those individuals or those any of the writers of the Bible identifying in that direction. As a matter of fact, one of the writers even said this, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with men. Effeminate is the one who plays a female role in a homosexual relationship. Abusers of themselves with men is the one who plays the male role in the homosexual relationship, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's Paul writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. According to the current wisdom, the Bible could not be a good production at all because, after all, it doesn't have diversity of authorship. How about, how about the apostles of Christ for a moment? Let's think about the apostles. Jesus chose 12 apostles, and what, what comprised that group? What, what was the group comprised of? Well, they were comprised of, well, 12 men, and there are 12 Jewish men. There are no Gentiles. There are no non-Jews. They're all Middle Eastern men, all same culture, same language. What? There's no diversity of the kind that our government is pushing today, according to the, the, our Lord's choosing of the 12 apostles. According to the wisdom today, that's a poor selection. That's exactly what this diversity is our strength nonsense gets to. Who says diversity increases production. Diversity increases, that is the diversity that is taught today. Who says that diversity makes it a better product? No, no, not at all. The Bible doesn't show that. How about, let's turn our attention to the church itself of Jesus Christ. How about the church of our Lord? The Bible teaches there's one body, which is one church, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And that one church, there is diversity in it because there are different members in the body. And Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But it's important to remember here that that simply is diversity in the sense of multiplicity of individuals. Paul never insisted upon, no New Testament writer ever mandated that we have to have a congregation of people that were comprised of, okay, you have to have Pacific Islanders, you have to have women, you have to have blacks, you have to have Hispanics, you have, no, no, not at all. The only diversity that the Bible teaches is that there were multiplicity of people in one single congregation. Now, there were individuals that came into congregations, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that attended the worship services, and they might have a different language, a different language background, but I want you to notice that was not necessarily a strength to be emphasized. That was a challenge to be overcome. And that's what Paul handles, the inspired writer of the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You see this idea that diversity is our strength, understood in the terms that we talked about earlier, is simply nonsense. It's nonsensical. It is a politically correct doctrine that is being pressed. That's why the government is mandating it. Let's talk about one other element regarding the New Testament church and the New Testament itself. How about the leadership in the church? What kind of diversity is there in elderships? Well, an eldership in the New Testament is those who are called pastors, elders. That's Acts 20, verses 17 and following, 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1. And the number one thing that we notice is that they're always in a congregation in the New Testament, there are always a multiplicity of elders. 
There's more than one. Is that the kind of diversity that is taught today in our government? No, not at all. No, it's simply the multiplicity of individuals to help guide a congregation. And what is the comprising of an eldership in the, according to the New Testament? What comprises an eldership besides more than one? Well, they're all men. There, there are no women. These are the pastors of the New Testament, elders. They're not women. There was no mandate that they have to have different cultural backgrounds. There was no mandate. There was no New Testament authority that said we've got to have men and women. No, there are no women that served in that. Now, you, I know that you hear that there are many churches today say, well, we have a, a woman pastor and a woman. Well, that's not New Testament. That's modern doctrine. That's modernism. has nothing to do with honoring the inspiration of the Bible. As a matter of fact, what does the Bible say regarding women in leadership in the church? Well, the women are not leaders in the congregations in the New Testament. That's not the case. And in the worship service, we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that the women are to be silent in the assembly. That is, they're not to teach or to have or exercise authority over a man. That's pretty plain. I know that's politically incorrect, and people don't like it today, and they want to find some reason to escape that. But the truth is, that's what the New Testament teaches regarding the leadership in the church. So whether it be the authorship of the Bible, whether it be the apostles of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, whether it be leaders in the church, whether it be the comprising of members in the church, all of it may have some diversity there with multiplicity of people, but nothing of diversity of the kind that is preached by our government today. Diversity is our strength, is really a lie. It is a lie of the deepest dye, and we are continually taught that, and it is simply brainwashing the American people. We'll be back in a moment. I want to talk to you for just a moment about the interpretation of the Constitution. The show is about the Constitution primarily as the baseline of our concepts of Americanism and really that which restrains the government in order that we might enjoy the freedoms that God gave us. And that's, that's the essential principle that we need to understand. Everybody needs to understand this is how our country was founded. The concept is that God gave us liberty. He gave us freedom. That's posited in the Declaration of Independence. And how are we going to maintain that? How are, we going to, how are we going to achieve that in a country? Because the history of the world shows us that people lose their liberties because of government that's too strong. The government starts off well. It may start off small, but it grows. And it gathers power. It gathers steam. And soon enough, that government itself begins to remove the liberties that people have. That's exactly where we are right now. That's exactly what's happening in our country. And part of it now that is being taught in our country is that the government actually gave us the Constitution and that the government gives us liberty, the government gives us freedom, and what the government gives, the government can remove. And part of that p process involves the idea that, well, 
We don't know what the Constitution says until the Supreme Court tells us what the Constitution says. And so the governing authorities tell us what the Constitution is all about and what the Declaration of Independence means and so forth. And all of that, all of that really removes the key of knowledge from men. It removes from us the ability to look at the Constitution, look at the Declaration of Independence, and understand what these documents actually say. So let's just start for a moment with this. The Constitution is the Bible of the country. That's how Abraham Lincoln referred to the Constitution. It's the Bible of the country. And up through the period of the Civil War, the Constitution was carried by people in their pockets. It was understood. It was read. They digested it. They discussed it. They debated it. And they understood what the Constitution basically said. The same thing regarding the Bible. We just talked about the Bible and made application regarding the Bible. The Bible is a document that is written to be understood. It was written to the common man. And it is to be digested by us. But on the other hand, what takes place is that nowadays people say, well, the Bible can only be understood by preachers, can only be understood by, and if you're in the Roman church, they say the Roman church has the authority, the final authority is to say what the Bible actually teaches. That is a self-contradictory position, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But let's just back up to the Constitution for a moment. I thought it was interesting that Thomas Jefferson said that every man is the arbiter of the Constitution. It is not to be divined by and interpreted only by black-robed justices. If justices are those who are the arbiters of the Constitution, the sole arbiters of the Constitution, and the sole authority to interpret the Constitution, then what do you have? Well, you have a power grab, and we have basically an oligarchy where just a few people at the top are telling us, here's what the law is, here's what you need to understand, and we'll tell you what it is, and when you need something else, we'll tell you. That is exactly the opposite of what our founding fathers wanted to accomplish. They wanted to accomplish that every person should be able to know the Constitution understand it, to be able to interpret it, and to be able to apply it themselves. So here's how Jefferson talked about it. Laws were made for men of ordinary understanding and should be construed by the ordinary rules of common sense. That's plain. That's simple. It's exactly the same thing I say regarding the Bible. Just put the Bible in there instead of the Constitution. The Bible is made for men of ordinary understanding and should be construed by ordinary rules of common sense. So regarding the Constitution, the federal government tells us this. This is the federal government website. It tells us the Supreme Court stands as the ultimate authority in constitutional interpretation, and its decisions can be changed only by another Supreme Court decision or by a constitutional amendment. Now, what's wrong with that? What is wrong with that? Well, if you follow Jefferson's readings and understanding what he just said regarding the Constitution, as well as the Declaration of Independence, then you know what's wrong with it. 
The authority does not reside in the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court only makes decisions and there's authority for the specific cases in applying the Constitution to those specific cases that come before it. And it's not that the Supreme Court is the sole arbiter of the meaning of the Constitution, and no one can know what it means until the Supreme Court speaks. For example, I remember, I remember vividly when Obamacare was passed by the Congress, and it went to the Supreme Court, and this decision that was made at the Supreme Court, and at that point, Megyn Kelly was, I think she was on Fox News at that time, and she was talking about, well, we just don't know whether Obamacare, government-mandated health care, is constitutional or not. We don't know. And then all of a sudden, the Supreme Court came out with a decision. She said, we'll have to wait for what the Supreme Court says. And the Supreme Court says, at first, they, people were thinking, well, if is the Supreme Court saying that it's not constitutional? Well, that must mean it's not constitutional. And then it came out, well, and then Megyn Kelly was the anchor there. She said, well, the Supreme Court says it's constitutional, therefore it's constitutional. Nonsense. The Supreme Court does not tell you what the Constitution means. And it certainly was not designed by the founders to make law and to give you the sole interpretation of the Constitution. No, according to Jefferson and those who crafted the Constitution, the Constitution is understandable by men of ordinary understanding. We knew Obamacare and mandated health care is unconstitutional because we can read the Constitution and understand it ourselves. That's exactly right. And we don't need a Supreme Court to tell us, well, let's think whether it's constitutional or not. That is all called judicial supremacy. So what is it? Do we have a constitutional supreme? Is it a constitutionally supreme country? Or is it a judicially supreme country? Well, the practice today and from about 1895 on, the Supreme Court tells us what the Constitution means and it's a judicial supremacy idea. That began in 1895. As a matter of fact, one of the Supreme Court justices he ascended the bench at, earlier, and his name was Charles Evans Hughes, and he served as Chief Justice from 1930 to 1941. And he said this, we are under a constitution, but the constitution is what the judges say it is. Okay, there we have it. You see, they want the power to be at the top. Very opposite of what our founders wanted and mandated. Very opposite of what they taught, all of them. We now have judicial supremacy. So I want to apply that. And by the way, that's unconstitutional. That's not, we can, we can read the Constitution. We can see what it says. That's the same thing. Let's apply it to the Bible. We've applied it to the Bible. The last point, let's talk about constitutional supremacy or judicial supremacy applied to the Bible. When you apply it to the Bible, I remember John Wycliffe made this comment. He was a translator of the Bible from the Middle Ages. He was actually himself. Uh, he was persecuted by the Roman Catholic Church for translating the Bible, but he made the comment. He says, I want to make the Bible so that even the plowboy can understand it. They would have availability to it. They'd be able to understand it. And that's exactly the case. The Bible can be read and understood by all of us. We can understand it. We can go to it and read it. We don't need a bench, a Supreme Court, to tell us what it means. But that is exactly the Roman Catholic position. 
And that is that the Bible means only what, not the Supreme Court, but only what the Roman Pope or the Catholic Church tells us that it means. That's exactly their position. And so we sit around and wait. Many people do say, what does the Roman Church and what does the Pope, what does the Holy See, what does he say this passage means? No. No, you can read it and you can understand it. The Roman Church was not formed and the first Pope was not crowned until 606 A.D. If that be the case, and it is, history is clear, who could understand the Bible for the first six, seven centuries? No, the Bible was written to be understood by the common man. Same thing regarding our Constitution. You can open it and read it. The question is, and the real issue is, are you studying the Bible and are you studying the Constitution? We'll be back in a few moments. Before I go today, I, I do want to make mention of a couple of avenues that you can find this material and also that you can help the work if you wish to do so. The radio station, of course, is News Talk 1290 out of Wichita Falls. It's also on FM 96.3. But we're also in Lubbock and Abilene as well. So you can find uh, the show here, there, Patriotic Pulpit. You find it in Lubbock, Abilene, and Wichita Falls. I have a website that is behind the scene, which is called American Liberty with Bill Lockwood. And you can go to that website. It has a donate button if you wish to, if you care to donate. That's fine. If you don't, that's fine also. And uh, you can donate. There's a donate button on that website. To find the show, you can go to a couple of different apps. And one of them is Spotify app. The show is called Patriotic Pulpit on Spotify app. Also on Amazon Music, you can find us there as well. Now I have another avenue, which is really my main avenue, at the Iowa Park Church of Christ, which is iowaparkcoc.org. I preach at the Iowa Park Church of Christ. And so you can find me at that website. It's easier to find my sermons, however, on uh, BibleStudiesWithBillLockwood.com. BibleStudiesWithBillLockwood.com. So those are the avenues where I put out material, and you can go there and you can follow any of that you wish to, make comments, and I'm happy for you to do that positive, negative, whatever you may want to say, and uh, donate if you will. Thank you for listening.